This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, joining us now on Through the Ringer, he is the Ringer's very own Benjamin Solak. And Ben, I know that you are enjoying your June as much as you can, but we're going to bring you on here to talk about some NFL topics because it's the dog days of summer. But first and foremost, Ben, how you doing? I'm doing well, enjoying the summer, doing my best to forget the NFL exists. And then Tate Frazier hits me up. He's like, you got to talk about Dalvin Cook. All right, I'll talk a little about Dalvin Cook. We'll get it done. It's all right. Yeah, well, that's all, you know, that's what they expect around here. You know, we got to keep people informed. We got to keep them in the news about, and, and the NFL is the number one sport. All I've ever heard, Ben, is that it's a 12-month sport. So we're going to use, yeah. uh, you know, that ticket right now to cash in. Um, and you mentioned his name, so I'll start there. Dalvin Cook um, is a conversation point. There's also been a larger conversation just about running backs um, and the value of running backs about, you know, you're not supposed to pay these guys, but then there's older running backs that are like, well, these guys deserve to be paid. Saquon Barkley comes to mind but Dalvin Cook seems like he still has a lot left in the tank just from the the naked eye looking in but what is the best fit for Dalvin Cook moving forward in your opinion yeah so Cook is just like a tried and true outside zone runner and that's a common system that you find in in today's NFL the bad news is that there's a lot of tried and true outside zone runners a lot of guys who fit that system and you can find them in the fourth round the fifth round the sixth round you can find them late uh, so Cook's skill set isn't rare, right? Like Nick Chubb's skill set is is rare, right? Like Aaron Jones' skill set is rare in terms of what he does is like a pass catcher, Christian McCaffrey. So there are like Derrick Henry, right? There are guys at the top of the, the running back market who just do things you can't find anywhere else. So how you pay them is still challenging because they're going to accrue a lot of injury and they're going to fall off a lot faster than other positions, but you still want to pay them. Cook is kind of like, all right, I can get 90% of Dalvin Cook somewhere else, right? And that's what the Vikings believed with Alexander Madison. It's like, yeah, we can get... 90, 95% of the production and still have, you know, a, a lot more money in the in, in the bank that we're not paying to Dalvin Cook. And so Cook fits in a lot of places. I think Miami is an excellent fit for Dalvin Cook. I think it's so easy to run the ball in Miami, not because of the offensive line, but because that passing game is so scary. The speed of those receivers is so scary. And so you get you get uh, room in the box that you wouldn't otherwise get in other teams. I think the Jets are, are a great fit, right? Going to a LaFleur offense. That's a West Coast style of offense. That's a 
great interior offensive line that blocks very well. Brees Hall was a sensation as a rookie running back, but is coming off a major injury. And so I like him with the Jets. I, I like you hear Patriots. I don't know if I like that one too much. You know, uh, I don't know. I've heard Bengals, right? Because they might move off from Joe Mixon. I don't think that solves your problems there. To me, like Dolphins and Jets are the best areas for him. And he could be super productive there. It's just he's now at this stage in his career. And like, Ezekiel Elliott's at this stage as well, where they're going to be journeymen. They're going to be guys who try to fill a role somewhere for a year, maybe two, because nobody's looking to invest in these like late 20s running backs in terms of like multiple years and tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, and Dalvin Cook, uh, his former teammate, tied in Tyler Conklin, who is now with the New York Jets, said that they have, quote, plenty of room in New York for him. Um, so he's already started the recruitment. There's also been some conversations, like you said, Dalvin Cook, he seems interested based on his social media in the Patriots. Um, so there's been some conversations about that as well. I like the Miami fit. So I think if we can narrow it down, Dalvin Cook should go to the AFC East, right? We, yeah. we don't know what team in the AFC East, but he should go to one of the teams in the AFC East. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers knows them very well based on their NFC North uh, battles back in the day. And once you do the AFC East, you start trying to make a weather decision and you can choose New England, (laughs) New York, Buffalo or Miami. And that starts to filter things out there a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty easy choice. Um, another free agent I want to talk about, he's a big name, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bigger name than the game suggests. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But DeAndre Hopkins, he talked about how he loves Bill Belichick, loves the way that he does things. There was a lot of scuttlebutt about the Patriots. There's also been a lot of conversations about him wanting to go play for a contender, um, try to go win a Super Bowl. So what do you see for Hopkins, and uh, is there a timeline when he makes a decision? I think you're going to see him wait and wait quite a bit. Uh, and understandably so. Like, think about the way that Odell went to the Rams in their Super Bowl season, just arrived midseason, got onboarded pretty quickly, became like the number two receiver for that offense, became an important piece, helped power the Super Bowl run. And then obviously they got the ball over the line without Odell there. But still, like, when they talked about Odell going down in the Super Bowl, they were like, he was our game plan, man. Like, he was, we were, we were going to feature him in this game. And so I think that you know, mercenary wide receiver for higher model where, you know, a guy's going to give you potentially like top 15, top 20 production. I think that still works as like a mid season signing. And so I don't feel like DeAndre Hopkins has to rush it at all in terms of Mm. fit and contender, right? Like if he wants to, if his objective is get a ring before I retire, which like it might be, it might be, you know, play with like my pals, play with guys who I really like being a good culture. He's been in Houston and Arizona. He hasn't really experienced that yet. It might be, you know, trying to trying to still cash in, like let's be super productive for a year, maybe get one more big contract, whatever his priority is. Uh, the chiefs and the bills both need him and can use him. Uh, and it, that's, those are good offenses to play for. Those are good cultures to be in. And those are championship caliber teams. Uh, those are the two teams who have made the most sense for the longest. I think both teams have looked into Hopkins. I think they both have kind of tried to figure out what the price tag is, and they haven't necessarily found a middle ground. So now you enter this waiting game where you're the Chiefs and the Bills, and you have a lot of young receivers, and you feel good about the guys that you have. But if DeAndre Hopkins wants to come play for us, that's not too bad either. And you (laughs) see what the market looks like for him. And if he's on the market for a while and he realizes he's not going to get a big bag somewhere, then, okay, maybe he knocks his figure down a couple million, you knock yours up a couple million, and you get home. And so I don't think anybody's in a rush here. I think Hopkins, like, a jump ball receiver fits on every offense for the rest of time. Like you never don't need that guy like in the red zone on third down, win a one-on-one bail you out of a tight spot. And so I think he fits with, with, with the contenders. I think you can, he can make sense on the Patriots. He can make sense on the dolphins. Like he can make sense everywhere. Uh, mm. It's going to be a matter of what does he actually prioritize? And then how long are teams kind of willing to wait him out in terms of the price tag? I think by week six Hopkins is somewhere. 
Yeah, and right now, I mean, a lot of you know teams are getting back into the building, or they'll be back in the building by July. They start reassessing their rosters and trying to figure out where he may fit in. I, a team that early on a lot of people speculated on was the Buffalo Bills, and I just want to talk you know quickly about the drama there because there is drama between Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. Uh, Allen came out and said that he loves him like a brother and all this sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. where does that stand? And if Diggs is out, you know, and he doesn't want to be there anymore, would that be a place where Hopkins could step in and maybe even be like a de facto type, you know, one receiver for them. Yeah. So the Diggs, Josh Allen, Bills thing, I think, man, there are there the Bengals, the Chiefs, and the Bills are all in the AFC, right? And only two of those three teams get to go to the AFC championship game. And so if the one of those three that's looking out in any given offseason, that's on the outside looking in, I should say, I think that team is going to be dealing with locker room frustrations and problems and 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 coordinator conversations and and underachieving expectations like that's going to be part of the conversation think about like the bills walked into last season as the super bowl favorite over the chiefs right like they came in with the skyest of high expectations and then they didn't make it past the divisional round Diggs has long been a player that's willing to vocalize his frustrations right like during the <laughs> wide receiver trade bonanza offseason last year Diggs was out here tweeting, he just, you know, just like tweeting eye emojis <laughs> and, 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 and random cryptic one-liners. We all have to figure out what this means. Like I think Diggs is a vocal guy on a team that feels like they've underperformed the last couple of seasons. And so he gets frustrated. Sean McDermott, I think, also is frustrated and, and kind of says something he shouldn't in a press conference. He's like, yeah, we're very worried that Stephon Diggs isn't here. And then it turns out Diggs has been here and just like left practice early and was back the next day. And so Knight made a mountain out of a molehill. I think there are intense high caliber personalities in Buffalo that want to win a championship and haven't even gotten a conference championship game yet. And I think that that's the conference championship game last two years, I should say. And that's, that's the truth of the matter. And whether it's Diggs this year, Vaughn Miller, the year following Tredavious White, Josh Allen, whoever it is, like, it's just tough to be a Buffalo Bill right now. You feel like you've been swinging and missing. Winning cures all ills. No one's going to care that in the beginning of June, Stephon Diggs missed four hours of a Tuesday practice. (laughs) <laughs> if they beat the Bengals in the playoffs next year and they go beat the Chiefs in the playoffs, and they're the AFC rep for the Super Bowl, right? And so they just got to get the ball over the line. I don't, I don't want to make a huge deal out of it until like Stephon Diggs explicitly says he's not happy being the biggest number one receiver in Buffalo and catching for 1,500 yards every season. Like they, they got, until I hear that explicitly, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, so I got the odds in front of me right now, the Super Bowl odds. The The Chiefs are the favorite at plus 600, the Eagles mm-hmm. at plus 800, and then the Buffalo Bills are the third favorites at plus 900. Then we have Cincinnati at plus 1,000, San Francisco plus 1,000, and then we get to the Cowboys. Of course, they're always going to be on the board because people love to bet on the Cowboys. Yep. But uh, the Bills, the the third favorites there to win the Super Bowl. If you had, I'm not asking you to make a pick right now because it is June, but do you think it makes sense that the Chiefs would be the favorites at this point? Do, do we expect them to basically run it back? Yeah. Oh, uh, we uh we had like a, a fun time, I think, in uh in sports media last year a little bit, uh, where we kind of had this thing where Patrick Mahomes was like the most underrated player in the league. That was kind of like the one liner <laughs> was kind of the bit where everybody was like, Oh, like the AFC is so tight, like so many good young teams and so many good young quarterbacks. And it's like, Yeah, that's true. But one of them's clearly different than the others, right? Like all the right. dinosaurs were big, but kids love the T Rex for a reason. That son of a gun was crazy. <laughs> like that's Patrick Mahomes, right? Like he's a step above the rest. Uh, and so I think the Chiefs taught us that last season. Like they traded away Tyreek Hill, played a bunch of rookies at like corner and random guys at wide receiver and just like made it all up and then still just best offense in league regular season, best offense in league postseason and won the Super Bowl. Like for as long as 15 sling in the pill, 
the Chiefs should be considered the favorite in in the league. And I think that that we've probably learned our lesson there. You know, who knows? Two or three years, we're going to have different Super Bowl odds, and we'll figure it out then. So I think it's appropriate the Chiefs are are, are the favorite. That group that goes underneath there is a mess, right? Eagles at 800 who lost both their coordinators. Bills changed their defensive coordinator, continue to fail in the playoffs. We don't know who the Niners starting quarterback is. Like the Bengals at plus 1,000 are the most reliable team there to me in that second group where like, yeah, they've been to the AFC Championship game now in consecutive seasons. They've beaten the Chiefs in the playoffs before. Like this is a team that I feel like I can actually trust. Well, and this is kind of their last opportunity for that because they might have to deal with contract stuff now moving forward. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and all those players. And so that I think the Chiefs have earned our trust. The Bengals have also cleared the trust bar and then everybody below them, I, I'm suspicious of. Yeah, and then if you look at MVP odds, you talked about what we learned. I, I don't think that the, the odds makers at FanDuel have learned this truth because they have Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and Pat Mahomes. They are all plus 700 to win MVP. They all have the exact same odds. Uh, we mm-hmm. all saw the video of Jamar Chase talking about Pat who. Uh, he has no idea yeah. who Pat Mahomes is. Uh, he says this is Joe Burrow's league. Um, so obviously there's going to be a lot of back and forth there, but then also Josh Allen is a favorite. Of those three guys, is, is it obvious that we should be thinking about Pat Mahomes as the favorite? Um, or, or is he slightly getting disrespected again right in front of our very faces, Ben? Because it seems like it. Yes. Well, so the issue is this. Uh, Super Bowl, the proof of the puddings in the Ian. The best team wins, right? MVP is a narrative award. Always has been, always will be. And Mahomes right. won it last year. And we don't like giving out consecutive MVPs. We did it for Aaron Rodgers, right? 2020 to 2021. But in general, we don't like doing it. I, I, just like it was a blanket statement the league and the league's consumers, media and fans, would all rather have a season in which Josh Allen wins his first MVP than Patrick Mahomes wins his third and his second in a row, right? Like, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have the exact same season next season. The MVP is going to Josh Allen because you you just want to give it to the new guy. You want to, you want to <laughs> give him the hardware that makes him seem like a Mahomes contender. So honestly, I don't mind the fact that, like, those MVP odds are, are even. To me, that makes more sense than, like, if those Super Bowl odds are even. With that said, the best player of the three is Patrick Mahomes. So if you if you want to, you know, uh, 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 make like the the safe bet, quote unquote, for a plus seven hundred MVP long shot or not long shot, but just uh, long future, then yeah, like Mahomes is probably the most reliable thing. But the 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 league's engines are going to move such that we're going to try to get somebody else into that spot. Like Jalen Hurts and Mahomes were in a dead heat for MVP before Hurts had a shoulder injury, and and so much of that was because the Eagles were a winning team. And because the Hertz narrative was awesome from like a per play efficiency perspective, from like a how do they impact their offense perspective? How much help do they have? Who's really the most valuable to their team? It really looked like Mahomes, but Hertz was right up there before the injury because we wanted it to be him. And so there's always going to be guys coming out from the woodwork. There's always going to be a Lamar season or a Justin Herbert season or a Josh Allen season or a Joe Burrow season or somebody that we're trying to push into that pole position. Yeah, Justin Herbert is at plus 900. Jalen Hurts at plus 1,200. Lamar Jackson at plus 1,500. Lamar got paid, so maybe uh, he's, he's locked mm-hmm. in and ready to play this year. A lot of people ex- uh, expect that from him. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. 
The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. I also have Coach of the Year odds in front of me. I find this fascinating. The favorite is Lions head coach Dan Campbell. Hide your kneecaps at plus a thousand. Uh, the Danimal himself is uh, much beloved, uh, you know, by the people. Sean Payton is second at plus twelve hundred. Matt Eberflus at plus twelve hundred as well. Um, if you're forecasting Coach of the Year, like you said, this is kind of a narrative award as well. Do, do you see value there in Dan Campbell at plus a thousand? Because it does seem like, based on these odds, they have no idea who's going to be the Coach of the Year. They're just throwing. And they're throwing shit at the wall and they're saying it's Dan Campbell. Yeah, I mean, Campbell feels like it, right? It just, uh, when those Lions are good, right? Like if, 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 a, if a coach wins coach of the year, what we typically see is that his, uh, he exceeded his preseason win total by about two to three wins. Uh, and we also see that they usually is, they're usually a team that won their division and accordingly made the playoffs. That's kind of the history of, of the award from a general perspective. We also very frequently see coaches who are either first year coaches or have first year quarterbacks, which, is not really going to qualify for the Lions in this case with Dan Campbell. But when those Lions are good, like when those Lions succeed and they are a 10-win team, 11-win team, and and they win the NFC North, to whom are we going to attribute that success? Like nobody's going to run around trying to crown Jared Goff because like Goff's been around, <laughs> right? Like, and we kind of yeah. know who Goff is and we've kind of done the whole thing with him. They're going to look to crown Dan Campbell. Like that's going to be the new guy, the guy who resurrected the Lions. Like that's going to be where the attention goes. So he makes sense as a favorite for that award. However, with that said, like I really like first year coaches when I'm handicapping coach of the year. And I really like coaches who have first year starters at quarterback when I'm handicapping coach of the year. And so the guys that stand out to me are Arthur Smith uh, is plus 1700, mm. the head coach of the Falcons, who's going to be starting yep. Desmond Ritter who's a third round pick last year. Ritter is probably not going to be good enough to be like, oh, like MVP. Right. And he can't win rookie of the year because this is his second year, but he is a first year starter. And so if the Falcons are surprisingly good again, like who's going to get the flowers That's what you're trying to figure out. I like Arthur Smith plus 1700 for that. And then the other one is Shane Steichen plus 2200. Uh, the AFC South right now, like uh, from betting perspective, is extremely clearly emphatically the Jaguars. And the Jaguars are a heavy, heavy favorite to win the division. And appropriately so. Accordingly, if anybody wins the division that's not the Jaguars, it's going to be a big deal. So you get D'Amico Ryan's plus 1700, but also Shane Steichen plus 2200. Has shown a great job running offenses with mobile quarterbacks. Has one now in Anthony Richardson, who's a first year quarterback. Uh, and so those are like long shot guys that I think are, are more interesting than taking just chalk on, on such a tough to window award like coach of the year. Yeah, I like the long shot odds there. I also want to talk about Rookie of the Year because you brought up his name, Anthony Richardson, the favorite mm -hmm. for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Bajan Robinson coming out of Texas at plus 300. Bryce Young coming out of Alabama with the Panthers at plus 450. C.J. Stroud is plus 900. Anthony Richardson plus 900. So looking at that you know, group of guys on the offensive side of the football, um, you know, obviously there's value there with taking an Anthony Richardson or if you believe in a C.J. Stroud. There's been a lot of good um, PR coming out of Indianapolis when it comes to Anthony Richardson. Would it be worth you know, maybe taking a swing here? Do you think there's a chance he starts from day one, or do they try to work him in slowly into the fold? 
Yeah, so Offensive Rookie of the Year is an interesting award. If you look back like before the 2000s, quarterbacks never won this award. Right. It was wide receivers mm. and running backs. 2000s hit and you saw uh, Ben Roethlisberger won it. Vince Young won it. Sam Bradford, Cam Newton, Robert Griffin III, all in three consecutive years won it. Typically, when we see a quarterback start the whole season and end above 500, that guy usually ends up in, in the past like 20 or so years winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. And if there's two of them, then it's one of those quarterbacks. Right. Uh, Kyler Murray here is a, is a great example. Like he just started a lot and produced a lot in a year in which Josh Jacobs was really good. And they were just like, yeah, Kyler Murray, like he's a starting rookie quarterback. <laughs> and so in a class where you had three guys go top four, uh, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, I do feel like there's too much faith in Bijan right now, plus 300. I think that if any one of those guys just holds down the job for a long time, or if two of the three of them hold down the job for 12 games, 14 games, and all three of them are, are expected to start in week one, then I think it's going to go to one of those three quarterbacks. And so I, I, I weirdly have no Bijan Robinson right now in my portfolio for rookie of the year, which I love Bijan, like an incredible prospect. It's just the quarterback opportunity is too great. You've also seen back-to-back -back wide receivers uh, win this award. Uh, Jamar Chase into Garrett Wilson last season. Uh, and so it is worth looking at Quinn Johnson, Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, seeing if there's anybody who can get the volume necessary to win that award. But a lot of these guys were picks like they were top 20 they were after the top 20 whereas when you look at wide receivers who win offensive rookie of the year it's typically guys picked like top 10 and so you can sprinkle the wide receivers if you want i'm more so just going to keep my portfolio richardson uh, and cj stroud a little bit of bryce young who's obviously at a much higher price right now um and leave it there because this award is trending towards becoming a quarterback award just as long as the guy plays enough yeah, and it starts with the the narrative that, that quickly comes out of camp, right? And, you know, I saw Brian Burns the other day was talking about Bryce Young. He said he's got it. He put a stamp on the locker room, right? There's a whole lot of conversation already coming out about Bryce Young, and then the Panthers already have the defense. So if they have a competent quarterback, if Bryce Young can be, you know, shades of what he was at Alabama, then, you know, that that's someone I think that has some value there. And also he has name recognition, right, with the people. So if Bryce Young is winning games, if he's above 500, like you said, it feels yep. like it could be his, his award to lose at some point, especially being the number one pick. Talking about, you know, teams with a lot of talent, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, they have a lot of talent. A lot of people think they might have the most talented roster in the NFL. The biggest question, though, Ben Solak, and I'll, I don't know, I'll, I'll, you know, frame it to you. Uh, who is the quarterback of the 49ers? Because we got Brock Purdy, who's obviously, you know, led them last year. You got Trey Lance. Uh, they brought in Sam Darnold. But what is, what is it going to look like in San Francisco? No Jimmy G anymore. Who's going to be the starting guy there? I fully expect it to be Brock Purdy, so long as his mm. injury timeline allows it to be. Uh, in the event that Purdy is not able to go week one, I expect it to be probably Sam Darnold, like maybe Trey Lance, but I would be surprised. And then once Purdy can play week four, week six, week eight, he's probably going to be in a spot where he takes over. Um, this offense can work with Sam Darnold, but I don't think it's going to work any better with Sam Darnold than it did when Brock Purdy was there. And I think they want Purdy to be their their guy of the future. They want to be able to play him for another season and show that, yeah, he can hang and, and he can actually play in the playoffs and win us playoff games and, and we can make this a starting quarterback. Uh, to me, they seem largely done with the Trey Lance experiment, uh, which, like, sucks. Uh, people want to learn a lot from the Trey Lance thing. They want to be like, they should have gone somewhere else. You should do this, you should do that. He just got injured a lot. Like, he, he came off the COVID year, barely played, 
and then went to the league and he got hurt in his first two seasons. Like sometimes guys just don't stay healthy early in their careers and the teams pass them by. Like that's the unfortunate nature of, I think, the Trey Lance situation. Uh, they love Brock there. They love his attitude. They love the way that he he stepped up to the plate last season in a difficult, challenging spot. They think he's got moxie. I think he's got creativity. I think he can elevate the offense. I think they're going to try to make sure it's Brock. The 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 certainty of that just goes up against the uncertainty of what his elbow is going to be like, right? And we'll have to see in training camp, how's he throwing? Is he throwing? Does he look like he has the same juice? And kind of go from there. Yeah, and if Sam Darnold ends up having to play or Trey Lance, I mean, that'll be fascinating. A little QB competition there because they have the roster around them to win. They're just looking for the quarterback, and that's kind of feels like a tale as old as time when you talk yeah. about uh, what's going on with the 49ers. I want to ask you a question that's more big picture because we talked about the Super Bowl contenders, talked about some of the top teams. I want to talk about tanking because uh, this was a big thing. Uh, you know, you're a processor, you're a Sixers fan, so you know how this works. You know about the tank conversation, but um, right now, now in the 2024 NFL draft, there are two quarterbacks that teams probably would love to bring into the building and try to build their franchise around. Obviously, USC's Caleb Williams, who's the favorite to win the Heisman, and North Carolina's Drake May. Those Drake are the two May from guys where? that. From where Tate? What school is that? <laughs> yeah, from oh, North yeah, Carolina, okay, right? Okay, Finally, yeah. we got something. We got something. Uh, we paid him a lot to stay there, so we're, we're happy to have him <laughs> back. Uh, but those two guys are, you know, maybe worth tanking for. So, do we have a world in which Ben, where you know, teams were getting to Week Seven, Week Eight, and they say, let's just go ahead and call the dogs off and try to get one of these quarterbacks to be the future of our franchise. Do we see a tanking method this year in the NFL? I think the Cardinals are going to tank. Uh, I don't even know how much they're going to be choosing that they're tanking. I just don't think you can you can do anything with that roster besides tank. It's, you, know, you don't get to be competitive with, with, with the guys <laughs> that they have out there right now. And so you kind of first-year head coach, super young head coach, very young coaching staff, first-year general manager, and then Kyler Murray coming off a major injury. Like, Kyler is on his second contract, right? He's, he's a huge cap hit. To be trying to build a team around a quarterback with an enormous cap hit, like from zero, from the studs, right? Like no more DeAndre Hopkins, no more Zach Allen who left in free agency, no more Byron Murphy who left in free agency. Like all their pieces are gone, right? Like this is, this is very clearly a rebuild. And it's so hard to do a rebuild when you have a, an expensive second contract quarterback like Kyler Murray. So I expect the Cardinals to be tanking. The Rams are a weird tank team. Right. It's kind of like we talked about with Brock Purdy. Matthew Stafford was on a pitch count last year because of an elbow injury and then also left because of spine injuries and concussions. So he's a quarterback who's got a back problem, an elbow problem and a concussion problem. It's not a good position to be in as a 35 year old man. Uh, and so you, mm. I think you could realistically see the, the Rams, if Stafford just very clearly his, his career is on the downturn, be a team that has to lose and lose base. So they can go and get that that new quarterback because the Rams have had no draft picks, right? The Rams have just been selling draft picks, selling draft picks, selling, selling draft picks. They have to get to a spot where they accumulate more draft capital. So the Rams are there. And then the Bucks are the last one. Uh, you know, it, when it's June, everything in the NFL seems fine. But walking into camp with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask as your quarterback competition is like dastardly. That's vile stuff, man. Like that's just not... Mm-hmm. Coming, coming off Tom Brady, too. I mean, that's even more messed up. You know, I mean, yeah, this, is, this is a different level. And their team is largely late 20s, early 30s, high caliber veterans on expensive contracts because they built it that way for the Tom Brady era. Right. And so this is just a team that is is if the if the Bucks are like two and six by the trade deadline, then they're going to be a clear seller. Shaq Barrett, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Vita Vea, uh, uh, Antoine Winfield, Carlton Davis, like everybody's going to be like teams are going to be calling. 
And I don't think it would be unwise for the Bucs to take a few of those calls, trade a few of those veterans, try to reload and see if you can bounce into the next era of a different quarterback after this Brady era. Because Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask, there's not a there's no franchise quarterback hiding there. There's not there's nothing there's nothing under the surface. That's about as bad as it looks. Yeah, and the Rams and the Bucks are kind of in a position where a privileged position, right? Where you won a Super Bowl recently, so you can mm-hmm. kind of say, "We we did that. We checked that box. Now let's reset and, and exactly. get things going." I want to ask you about a reset. I mean, I guess it's more of a redemption arc. He was at the NBA Finals. He's sitting courtside. He is trying to endear himself to the Denver faithful. He, of course, is former Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. Going into year two, he gets Sean Payton after the Nathaniel Hackett experiment, which was uh, you know, not a great experiment, to say the least. Um, do we think there, in year two, as a Bronco, Russell Wilson has a, a redemption story? Does he have a roster around him where he can actually make things happen? And, and will this be good for Sean Sean Payton in his new era with Denver. Well, what's what's the bar of redemption here? Right, that's the challenge. Uh, I think when the Broncos fans got Russell Wilson in the trade, they said, "Wow, we're going to the Super Bowl." So, if redemption is like achieving a deep playoff run, I do not think there's a redemption arc for the Broncos and Russell Wilson. If redemption is like we go ten and seven, we make the wild card round, we're not super embarrassing anymore, then yeah, there's I think there's definitely a way we can we, we can get there. Uh, Sean Payne's an extremely good coach. They've retooled this offense to be run oriented, deep pass oriented, which is what those Seahawks offenses were built to do in years past. Like this just makes a lot more sense, a lot more cogent. Uh and then Russ is, you know, for everything that Russ is and isn't as like a locker room guy and, you know, kind of contrived leader politician and, you know, weird meddler into his team's like free agency moves and team building for all that nonsense. Russ is a high caliber competitor. Like Russ really cares about being good, works extremely hard and has a lot of talent. Uh, And so they have a good quarterback and good weapons and a good coach. And those teams usually perform decently well. I don't think there's going to be a point at the season where even the rose-colored, glassiest Broncos fans can squint and convince themselves they're a Super Bowl team, but they might not be like an egg-on-your-face embarrassment anymore. And again, like, is that redemption? Eh, it's all right. It's close enough. Like, <laughs> you won't be being actively made fun of. It'll be a different team that's being made fun of. That feels pretty good. Yeah, it's also like a kind of genius move to completely tank the first year. Like, it, it can't be worse for Russell Wilson, right? So, anything that he, bar the down. bar is so low that uh, he will exceed expectations, you would assume. Uh, one last situation I want to ask you about before I let you go, Ben, and I appreciate you running through all this. Uh, mm-hmm. A little bit of a hodgepodge of NFL topics. But Jordan Love, um, you know, there it was Father's Day. Jordan Love put out a post, you know, saying, you know, Happy Father's Day to the Bears. I, I think he was trying to troll the Bears. But also, I don't think he understand the concept of saying Happy Father's Day to someone because that tough would employ. That was a tough look. Um, there's also a quote I have here in front of me. Uh, quote: Jordan Love has been with the Packers for four years. I was told by a player that when he was around Love, he never saw a wow moment. Um, if you went to a great movie, would you wait four years to tell anybody? End quote. So, what are your expectations post Rogers with the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love? And should we even have expectations? Are they in that tanking group mm-hmm. potentially? If you went to a movie and it was great, would you wait four years to tell anybody? It's so rude. That's a that's a that's 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 an unbelievable. <laughs> that's a tough line. quote. Yeah, I right. love it. That's <laughs> uh, there's like Love has not had starting experience, right? Love has started two and a half games. Uh, you need to play to get better. Like whenever rookie quarterbacks land in their in their respective teams, there's always this conversation of okay, do we start them or do we don't? And there's guys who will benefit from not playing and sitting and kind of learning on the chalkboard and learning learning through the play sheet, and that's fine. 
But in general, like you got to get out there and, and play with some live bullets to kind of learn the speed of the game and learn the approach to the game. And so I am willing to give Jordan Love the benefit of the doubt in terms of, all right, like let's start him. Let's see what he learns over the course of the year. Let's see what he looks like at first. Let's see what he can prove on and how fast he improves. That process is still fine. Like it's totally valid. And you can use the same descriptors and the same language and the same framework for like Bryce Young with the Panthers. Like, all right, this is mm-hmm. never played the NFL. Let's stick him out there and see how he goes. The problem is if Bryce Young ends up, okay, he got better. He's kind of okay. Let's see what it looks like in year two. Like that's, a, that's fine because he's been in the league for a year. You have time. With Jordan Love, you don't. Like they were negotiating his fifth year option. He's, he's going to be a free agent. Like he's running out of contract, right? <laughs> so he has one year is the reality. I don't think they're tanking because I don't think they know enough about Love to say, okay, we have to tank. But they have, Love's got one season. He has one year to prove to the, the Packers, okay, invest in me long-term. I'm the quarterback of the future. Or if he's not hitting it early, the Packers are going to say, okay, how do we get out of this and move on to the next guy? So it's just Love gets the benefit of the doubt because he hasn't started and he's going to get those reps. It's just he's got to hit a lot faster. The, the, the connections have to be made a lot quicker for him than a guy who's like a rookie who's got a two-year, three-year leash to play with. Yeah, I will say I'm happy that we did this without like really harping on Aaron Rodgers. He'll get all the coverage that he needs. So we did our best to talk about Jordan Love. Not a lot of people are going to do that. He is the great Ben Solak. Ben, I hope you can enjoy your June, enjoy your July, get get outside. Um, and then, you know, the season will be here before you know it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Appreciate you, Tate. Take care. Joining us now on Through the Ringer, she is the queen of reality TV at the Ringer. She is the great Juliette Lippman. Juliette, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so happy to be here, Tate. Thanks for having me. There's a lot happening um, in the world of reality TV right now. We are in the dog days of summer, right? So this is the time where the sports fans say, what should I be doing? What Mm -hmm. should I be watching? I think it's the perfect time if you haven't caught up with reality TV to really check in. And you are our expert. You are our guide on this journey of reality (laughs) TV. Um, So I wanted to start. We have The Bachelorette coming back, right? Yes. Um, We have Charity, who is going to be The Bachelorette. She is the star of the show. So first and foremost, just first impressions and what should we expect from this new season because it was a great preview and a great trailer i just watched it wow i'm so impressed um thank you i am glad you asked i interviewed charity <laughs> last week she seems happy she seems mm. you know she's got a lot of presence we didn't really get to know her that well on the bachelor i feel like we just spent so much time on stupid zach and now <laughs> charity is here to really come in, into focus and she's great first of all she's absolutely stunning Yes. Um, so that's a, a great starting point for for the Bachelorette, although not always necessary, of course. And uh, she's got a lot of presence, honestly. Like on on her first night, she clearly makes the guys feel comfortable. She seems fun, and also like she's having fun. Uh, which ultimately that's what I'm looking for is people having a good time. So on TV, I think that's actually the secret sauce of um, reality television is people actually enjoying themselves. So I think it's going to be a good one. Also. First season without the longtime showrunner and creator, Mike Fleiss. So it's a bit of a changeover season. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a back to basics in a way, um, even which maybe sounds counterintuitive, but I, I think it's going to be good. I think um, the pool of men, there's no like obvious like joke. And there's a lot of employed people. Well, at least they were. 
um, which is also a good sign. Yeah, we like employed people. Employed people. We like likable people. Um, Charity was kind of like the uh, beloved, you know, person on last season with Stupid Zach, as you said. Like everyone was like, "I'm a really big fan of hers. I would like to see uh, what she can do on her own." So I'm excited to see uh, what her universe looks like in the Bachelorette. And do we have a Bachelor in Paradise as well that is coming up? Correct. Oh, we sure do. So <laughs> Bachelorette's on now through I think the end of August, and then in the fall on Monday nights, there's Bachelor in Paradise. And then on Tuesday nights, there's Golden Bachelor, which they're doing a bachelor who is like 75 and they're doing a full on season. And I'm incredibly excited about that. So we basically have a sugar baby factory happening on Bachelor TV. That, that's what we expect to see. So this is like, uh, who is the, who's going to be the Golden Bachelor? Do you I don't, know this person? I don't know who okay. it is, but I just want to be clear, Tate. His the the women are also like seventy. Like it's okay, it's good. That, that makes you feel a lot better senior about senior people. I'm okay. really excited. I, I it's like what we need in the bachelor world. So let's shake things up. <laughs> it's a very mature bachelor approach. I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of that. Um, one of the things <laughs> I wanted to ask you about because you're you're such an expert on the bachelor in general. How do we get Jesse Palmer to do more? You know what I mean? To be more engaged in the the questions and to maybe help him a little bit with like the emotional capacity of the questions. Like I've seen some clips. I, I like Jesse Palmer, you know what I mean? But I, I just feel like there needs to be something. It needs to be pushed out a little bit. How do you feel about that? So I'm glad you asked. First of all, I love Jesse Palmer. I just want to make that clear. Right, I, same. I think he's like actually, well, he, he works really hard. I When I went to After the Final Rose or whatever, like one of the live shows towards the end of, I can't remember if it was Zach's season or Rachel and, and Gabby, but he's like a real quarterback. He's like the <laughs> Russell Wilson of... Or like the Tom Brady of The Bachelor, like in between, like during the commercial breaks, like he's practicing his lines, like he's like reviewing the script of like what he's going to say in the next segment. And it reminds me a lot. I mean, and, you know, he was a quarterback, obviously, at Florida and then like kind of at the Giants, um, like of like one of quarterbacks on the sideline with their Microsoft Surface, like crushing tape. Like he's actually like really wants to do the best job. I'm not joking, Tate. I'm really not. You're no, I, I, I can tell that he he really does. Like you said, he's like buttoned up and definitely prepared. It's he's not, a hard it, worker. Yeah. I just want the emotional like like, you know, Chris Harrison had this ability sometimes to kind of read between the lines with like where they're standing or how they feel about a situation. And I feel like that's the next step for Jesse to become well, like the real the real guy. That's a good point. I think that part of the problem is Jesse's so nice and like such mm-hmm. like a humble dude that he doesn't like assume that he has like this a lot to offer. I feel like as like an emotional <laughs> as like an emotional guide. Like he's there to you know make these people feel better, but like and like when Zach was really struggling, I was like, so like what was your role? And he was like, it was to give him a hug. And so mm. I don't think Jesse thinks of himself that way. So maybe Jesse needs to find his own like mentor to like kind of like pump him up to get him there. But the funny thing is he takes it like really seriously. And so he actually was like a good host for the last couple seasons when the other people were not taking it seriously because it was just sort of like he was the straight man and everyone else was just like going crazy. So I'm actually a little curious to see how it goes when it seems like the season's going to be like less um, like messy. So I, we'll see. But I, I agree with you. I want more out of Jesse. I want also people to recognize that he's wonderful because I'm just like obsessed with him. I just like someone who works hard. So when I see him putting his best foot forward, I respect it. I respect it too. And like you said, I I'm a fan of his and I just want to take that next step. Cause I feel like it almost feels a little bit like interim status, but it's like, Jesse, you're the guy. Let's yeah. He needs to own it, it more. Right. Kind of, right. I'm trying to think of like another good, like quarterback comp. It's almost like, I don't know. 
It's almost like when Nick Foles stepped in for the for the Eagles, you know, and he wasn't really sure what his what his role was, but then he he won the Super Bowl. So I just feel like he needs to take charge. Yeah, this is your team, Jesse. That's what we're saying, and and, exactly. and we and we fully support you. You know what I mean? We'll wear the t-shirts, we'll wear whatever the jerseys, whatever we need to do to support <laughs> you, Jesse. Uh, one last bachelor question, and then I sure. want to flip the script and talk about Vanderpump Rules because uh, the Love Bravo to. world has my attention. Um, what is the ideal person for charity, based on what you learned in your interview? What do you think she's actually looking for? She definitely wants someone who's like very family focused and like willing to spend a lot of time with her family. I feel like that comes up but it's like which which person's family is going to be more dominant like who will you be spending more time with it's Mm. definitely charity she's super close with her siblings (laughs) um and so she needs someone who's like okay with that so to that end i feel like she needs someone who will happily relocate she lives in charlotte tate so wow she's from georgia but she now lives in charlotte so i think she needs someone who will move there with her i think she needs someone smart like i think she needs someone who's like also like has her together and like has a career um and i think also someone who like makes her feel relaxed because i think she does that for people like she's like a like a a calming presence so i feel like she needs someone to meet her on that level i love that i love the insight that's what i'm going to be looking for i'm going to be watching because uh now that i'm back in the ringer universe i have to stay locked in juliet you know this so i will keep up with charity and uh i will probably bother you and ask you questions as things are playing out This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Speaking of bothering you and asking asking you a lot of questions, I've been waiting to talk to you about this for quite some time. I watched it play out in real time. Of course, I'm talking about hashtag Scandival, the story of Tom <laughs> Sandoval uh, on Vanderpump Rules. Uh, Ariana apparently had a birthday over the weekend, um, and you know there was some some conversations about who would be invited and things like this. But I want to start there, right? Ariana is, is obviously the, the one who is the victim in the situation. America has fallen in love with Ariana. We all watched the, uh, the Uber Eats commercial, right, where Uber mm-hmm. won as good as gold, and we got Sheena, and we got Ariana, and we got Lala. You know, it's been a, a nice, like, whole campaign for Ariana on the other side of Scandival. What do we learn about this birthday party, and where do we stand with Ariana right now as far as America falling in love with Ariana? Well, 
Did you see the episode of the show where she and Stassi had the um, like Game of Thrones birthday yes. like several years ago? So right. we know that Ariana and Stassi share a birthday. I don't think Stassi was there, um, but she basically had two parties. She had a Saturday night party and then a Sunday day party at her house. Katie was at the day party. And I think Sheena was at all of it. Um, but our colleague, Jonathan Bananas, was at... Uh, her party as well. I saw wow. a picture of him with Sheena. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I th- I think that she seems like she's thriving. She seems like she's like loving this this life. I mean, I, I think obviously it's hard, but I think that people like have really shown up for her, which seems to mean a lot. And, you know, I I respect her cashing out. Like now's the moment, right? Like Uber Eats, Duracell, like whatever you can get. Like she should <laughs> she should do it. Reality TV fame is so fleeting. And like while she's been on the show for a long time, she's never been a household name before. So I support that. That said, I'm like definitely personally ready for a Vanderpump break and like a Scandaval break. I just think that like I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, have they, have they jumped the shark at this point? Is the question right? Like it, it's been going on for now almost like a month and a half. It kind of started. Oh, in it's March. been going on since January, my friend. This I'm oh, like right. in, I'm like in month month six of this. I recall <laughs> maybe it was a little bit later, but you know, you know, me and Jody Walker and Rachel Lindsay did an emergency Ringer reality TV pod episode on a Saturday because we were just like, this is crazy. That like was it was definitely cold out for that. So it's I think I'm in month six of Scandaval. Um and yeah, I mean, I I know that some people thought that Ariana was like harsh at the reunion, but I actually don't think she was. I mean, she was kind of mean, but like Sandoval sucks, man. I mean, I, that's just sort of that's where we're at. My main thing is justice for Katie. Uh, you've watched the show. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings on Katie? Because I feel like she gets a really edit for like nine years. I was going to say, Katie is honestly the biggest win. I know Ariana, right, is like, you know, like you said, she's running with the fame, but I think Katie's the big winner um, of this whole thing because Katie has been getting gaslit by Tom Schwartz, um, not Tom Sandoval, but the other Tom for quite some time. And there's been moments where, you know, they, they did the whole Tequila Katie thing where they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to dismiss all of her feelings and all of her actions. But at the end of the day, Tom Sandoval, he would turn Tom Schwartz against Katie so many times throughout the series that, you you know, as James Kennedy called him, a worm with the mustache, right? I mean, this this was the this was the moment where Katie kind of had her redemption arc, um, and we all kind of see the true colors of what we were dealing with. And even for Kristen, right? Like Kristen was much maligned. We we got the whole Jax Taylor situation with Stassi, you know, season one, season two. Kristen was the home wrecker and all this type of stuff. But what Sandoval did to Ariana after ten years was basically the exact same script that he did, yeah. you know, to Kristen, right? So this was he's in a, a repeat offender at this point and the first go around everyone's like Kristen's crazy Kristen's this and everyone took Sandoval's side so you know not to you know Katie has had this great moment I actually went to Stasi. you talked about Saturday Stasi had a live show in Los Angeles oh. uh, I went I went with my girlfriend to the live show and Stasi had Katie come out um, oh. she served her a birthday cake yeah with her sir dress on um, wow. and Kate <laughs> Yeah, it was awesome. And then Katie, like with the audience's approval, like they kind of all just gave her like uh, the 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 cheers and the love that she always deserved because Stasi basically was like, Katie's always been on the right side of history. It's just we never really saw it that way. And now we finally do. So I think Katie's the big winner at the end of the day. I agree with you. I, I've always felt bad for Katie because Me too. I just feel like she's not as bad as, as she's made to seem. 
But um, I like I, I think it's interesting that her and Stassi are still so close. There was a moment on this past season, I think when I don't know when, but uh, Katie refers to going to her friend's wedding in Italy. And it's like, oh, she went to Stassi's wedding. And it's just <laughs> interesting. They have to like hide their friendship from the cameras. But um, was there any good scoop at the, at the show, Tate? Wow, you're an insider. I, I was locked in. Yeah, two rows in front of me. Uh, Lala Logan, who was, you know, friends with Lala and James Kennedy back in the day. Uh, Kristen Doty, um, who I mentioned before, she was sitting there. Kristen filmed the entire uh, the entire thing. She was on her phone filming. Uh, like, she was literally, you know, Kris Jenner with a camera or like Amy Poehler, right? <laughs> and, and Mean, mean girls. girls. It yeah. was very much that type of vibe from Kristen Doty. And I think that kind of says a lot about how, you know, connected these guys are with each other, that Kristen Kristen and Stassi can have their history and she still has those feelings about her. But um, yeah, I mean, Katie was the real winner of the night just with Stassi and Stassi talking about, you know, not being a part of the show in the, anymore and being able to watch it from the outside looking in. Um, it, it was kind of just like a, a moment in time where it feels like despite Tom Sandoval, his horrible actions, he kind of has brought everyone together in that universe because he is so annoying and obnoxious and self-centered and whatever, you know, descriptor you want to use for Tom Sandoval. It feels like he brought everyone else back together which is um sometimes it's good to have a common enemy and sandoval obviously is perfect for it yeah it's like they're trauma bonded because they've all interacted with tom sandoval <laughs> right and they, uh, and they all deserve that i think that's also like why like that show was good and i think what they need to get back to and is going to be hard is the actual friend group like the best reality shows tap into something that is real and organic. Like that's why Jersey Shore initially was so good because those people like had no idea what they were doing. So they were just like living their lives. And so luckily the Vanderpump people are not very self-conscious. So they just like keep doing it. But the issue is that they're, they've grown apart. So like when they have to like orchestrate these like stupid events to get them together, that's the problem. But so, I, so I'm, I'm curious to see how that, that unfolds going forward. Yeah, the scoop I will say is Katie was asked about taping with Sandoval and taping with Rachel, a.k.a. Raquel, and she said that she would tape with them and that what was reported was not true. So it does sound like there is a future with Vanderpump where Sandoval, uh, Raquel, Katie, Aria, it sounds like they're going to try to film um, another season with all of them into the fold because I think that was the other big question I was going to ask you that, Julia. Do you think there's a world where Sandoval can fit back into the storyline of Vanderpump or do you think he's out? No, I think they all need each other, honestly. I mean, as sick as it is, like the ratings spiked, all of their fame has spiked, their podcasts have become more popular because of this. And so, you know, while they are legitimately friends, they are also legitimately like West Hollywood dirtbags trying to be famous. So <laughs> they need each other to accomplish that. And so I, I think they're smart about that. And I also think they've been like someone like Katie, who's been on the show like for 10 years, like she knows how to separate some of the and and like a lot of them. They know how to separate what what is necessary for the show for what they do when they're not on the show. So I think I think they can. I just hope they continue to be like real. Otherwise, it'll be really boring. And, and I have to ask this because this has always been a question. And, you know, Sandoval and Jax had this argument quite a bit about who the number one guy in the group is. Uh, Juliet Lipman, who is the number one guy in the group right now? I think it's James Kennedy. I right. Mean, was, that's that's it what was I a think. powerhouse reunion performance. <laughs> He's very funny. 
He's and the king of reunions. Like at yeah. first, I didn't really like James Kennedy, but then I think it was like season five reunion. He finally gets Jax. Like Jax just starts dying laughing because he starts crawling on the floor at one point, making fun of Stassi <laughs> crawling back to Lisa Vanderpump, and you're just like, this is the greatest moment in reunion history. Like James Kennedy owns the reunions. That's all He's I know. He's so funny. He is so funny. Also, I like Allie. That's the biggest shock. Me too. Is that he picked a good girlfriend. I like her. And she has a good head on her shoulders and yeah. she does a really good job of like kind of separating the the Raquel stuff with him. She's like he's more upset about his friends leaving him for Raquel as opposed to like actually being upset about Raquel. I think I think she has a really good head on her shoulders. Like you said, I, I'm a fan of them. Um, this is like the big overarching question. Where do you think Scandal ranks amongst all time reality TV scandals? And I know that's that's a really big picture question. But do you think it's you know, it's in that elite elite group? Because it does feel like people even like me, it led me to watching the entire right. series you know what i mean felt like it brought in a general audience so its impact is really high i think if you're measuring its impact it's like it's got to be top five i mean i'm trying to think of some other ones but just because it revived a show that i think otherwise was kind of dying although this season was good before even this came out which leads me but but now we know that like lala had an inkling about it you know so i think i think it would have been a good season no matter what but obviously it it just like made it the, one of the biggest deals in pop culture. So impact-wise, Scandaval and like its impact on like culture and sort of like reality TV as a subsect of entertainment culture is absolutely huge. But, you know, does it pale in comparison to Teresa Judice going to jail and her ex-husband being deported because they like were irresponsible with how they flouted their behavior while being on Real Housewives in New Jersey? Like, yes, like that that was a uh, that's a man deported, which led to divorce and also Teresa going to jail. So that, I think that is like pretty hard to disagree with. Plus, like Jen Shaw. So, you know, when you consider some of these other like crimes, um, it doesn't quite compare. But impact wise, it's up there with like, like I said, early season Jersey Shore, some of the biggest like responses to the real world. Like every few years, something happens in reality TV that just catches everyone's attention. And it sort of like shifts the genre in like in a way that that impacts what people are trying to do. But it really can't be repeated because the best moments in reality TV are ones that like the producers have created the sandbox, but they didn't script what was going to happen in there. And so that's just really hard to recreate. Yeah, it makes me think of like a flavor of love when like New York gets spit on. You know what I mean? Like there's some of those moments that you're just like, they're like culture changing moments, reality TV, even like Beverly Hills Housewives, right? Like Taylor's husband, yes. that whole storyline, right? Horrible, that whole yeah. mystery around that. Like that that was a moment where you're like, oh my God, that that's insane. Um, and last Bravo question, because yeah. uh, the Beverly Hills, or not Beverly Hills, but Real Housewives of New York, there's a new cast. Uh, you were in New York City how excited are you about the new cast? Do we have reservations? Obviously, a lot of uh, you know characters that have been there for quite some time. Bethany Frankel is one of the first ones that come to, comes to mind. But what do you think about the new cast and the new show? I'm excited. I love a New York reality show as a New Yorker. Right. However, <laughs> these women are not friends with each other, so I'm 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 nervous. Housewives very much it's like people who aren't actually friends anymore, so like that's okay. Um, but I just don't think it will be like one of the greats, but I, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. I think also like there's just a real attachment to the very problematic previous New York housewives and to like that end, Luann and Sonia have like a spinoff on Bravo and Peacock this summer at the same time. So I think that Bravo is trying to like split the difference. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but I would say my expectations are also like rather low. 
Yeah, I uh, I'm worried that I mean honestly with Andy though like Andy can make anything matter like I I've I've watched watch what happens live um you know now that I am a, a Vanderpump guy and I just like I love Andy Cohen I don't know how anybody doesn't love Andy Cohen so I feel like he can make it matter um one last thing Juliet before I let you go I wanted to ask what uh, reality TV series outside of the two that we talked about should people be keeping an eye on and what are you watching right now Love Island correct. I'm very into Love Island. It's it's a little bit new for me. I mean, it's not new to the world, but um, on Bachelor Party, me and Callie Curry, we rewatched season three while The Bachelor was on break. And that Love Island UK season three, it's on Hulu, is so good. I like legitimately like miss it. I'm like, I wish I wish it was tw- 2017 when it came out so I could like follow these people in real time. But now they're just like they've moved on in the last six years. <laughs> um, but there's a new season of Love Island airing right now in the UK and on Hulu. It's season 10. It's definitely it's good. I'm a huge below deck sailing yacht fan. That's on right now. I highly recommend mm. that. Um, and, you know, if you didn't watch this past season of Top Chef, I can't recommend it enough. I absolutely love Top Chef and it's Padma's last. So, you know, you should get in- get involved. Yeah, I love that. I love all the recommendations. You mentioned Top Chef, which made me think about food. So uh, shout out to Food News, yourself you. uh, and Jacoby. I love seeing you guys back together. They all, you know, it always makes me happy. Even if I don't even care about whatever food you're talking about, I'm just like, this banter is great. And uh, I love seeing you guys back together. Uh, Juliet, thank you so much for coming on Through the Ringer. We really appreciate it. And uh, as we keep watching all these reality TV shows, I'll keep bothering you. And hopefully we'll have Please. you back to break it all down for us. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me, Tate. Talk to you soon. Of course. Thanks, Juliet.